Good morning. Good to be with you again. Great to be with you, actually, and be able to open God's Word on a beautiful Sunday morning like this. On that note, please open your Bibles to, yes, the Gospel of Luke. We're going back into Luke to begin our fall season. I'm really looking forward to this uh, fall season getting back into Luke, and especially this text that we will be looking at today. So we will be in uh, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. So as you're getting your Bibles open or opening an app, uh, I'd like to share with you a thought that I've been praying about as we were Uh, beginning to head back into Luke. I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks, especially related to today's text, and it's the subject of character traits. And so I've been asking myself, and I guess I'm going to ask you here today, what would you think would be that one character trait, that strength that you wished you possess more than any other, one that obviously you know you don't have? I mean, maybe you've seen others with that trait or with that strength and thought, you know, that would be something that would be really helpful to me. I could really use that. Having a strength, you think, uh, a character trait like that um, would help certainly with uh, just being a better person, (laughs) being a better human being, but also maybe uh, making your life happier and potentially, hopefully anyway, more successful. So I did some research on this subject, you know, went to the experts online and looked at the the books and the articles, the authors, the seminars um, that are put on. And and these are the people that most people go to uh, to find out about uh, strengths and and character traits and and so how we can better ourselves and become better people. And I just want to share with you some of the top traits that are recommended uh, by the experts. Uh, who would say these are the traits that every human being uh, should have and and most people want to have and are looking for. One of them would be the uh, trait of ambition. That's actually on a lot of the experts' uh, writings and and websites and lists that they have. Another would be industriousness. And then another would be enthusiasm. I mean, seriously, it would be good to be an enthusiastic person, you know, to show up for work. I mean, your coworkers would probably enjoy that rather than, you know, you know, a negative person. Enthusiastic would be helpful. Your boss would love it, I'm sure. But there were also traits like this, really, really good traits. Those are good ones too. But traits like responsibility. Yeah. People who are responsible. They say they will do something and they follow through. Integrity. And then here's a good one, compassion. All really good traits, but here's also what I found. What I found as I was reading about them and why you want these and what's important about them, it was, it was almost always this, this is what I found. I found that the reason why you want these are primarily for your own benefit, right? They're not necessarily altruistic and for the sake of others. No, it was really, the focus was much more on self, on your own personal happiness and success, and of course, with the ultimate goal of becoming, potentially, financially more successful. Well, as I prayed about going back into Luke, and as I read through the chapters that we were going to be going into over the next several weeks, six chapters, 19 to 24, the end, basically about the last three weeks of Jesus' life. And Luke spends a lot of time here. A lot of things happen. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. But here's the one thing that I noticed. It's about Jesus, of course. And this is what I noticed. It just, it, it just jumps off the page. It comes off the text. We, we've, we've noticed it already. But it, you really begin to see it. This character trait that Jesus possesses, and I honestly believe he wants all of us to possess as well, is the character trait 
of meekness. He, he just exudes meekness. And so we learned what the word meek means uh, quite a few times as we've gone through the Gospels and, and the Bible and its teaching. And, of course, we've learned it mostly from Jesus, of course. In Matthew chapter 5, there's that passage, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where he takes his disciples up on a mountain and, and he, he tells them the Beatitudes, right? That's what they've been famously known as. I like to call them the beautiful attitudes. They're character traits. And he, and he teaches his disciples that, listen, th- these are the character traits of those who are truly my disciples, those who will inherit the kingdom of God. And you'll all remember this one where he said this. One of the character traits is this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so these beatitudes are these characteristics of the kingdom that Jesus wants you and I to have and to possess. And one of them, of course, is meekness. Well, we also learned at that time, and I'll just repeat it today for you, is that meekness is not an attribute or a strength that you're going to find on anyone's top 10 list out there. (laughs) It's just not. In fact, in our world and in our culture, for the most part, I believe it's true. When people hear the word meekness, they think of another word, don't they? They think of weakness. (laughs) Meekness doesn't sound like self-confidence and ambition. It doesn't sound like that at all. Well, that's actually not, of course, the meaning of meekness or being meek in the New Testament. What it refers to in the, in the Bible uh, and what Jesus is getting at is that it is actually a foundational inner strength. It, it's, it's something that a human being needs that is God-given that is foundational, and it's a core strength. It's, it's, a, it's a strength that gives you full assurance all the time, every day, of what? <laughs> that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens, everything will turn out well for those who love God because God is in control and God loves you. And so you can be meek and you can have this beautiful character trait. It's foundational. Now, what then would that example look like in the world today? How would that look like if someone possesses meekness? Well, those who are are meek, listen, they they don't resent adversity. They, They don't get upset when life doesn't go the way we think it should or when struggles and adversity come our way. Again, think about Jesus. Think about in two weeks we'll be He'll be on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. For what? The last week of his earthly life before he is brutally crucified on the cross. Meekness. Well, we'll see meekness during that week and the messages that we'll look at and the passages we'll look at during that time. And so there's this other thing that I thought about with people who are meek, and it's a beautiful thing if you think about it, they are rarely heard to be saying either one of these two statements. You'll never hear a person who is truly meek saying, why is this happening to me? You won't hear them saying that. No, you won't. And you also won't hear them saying, why is this not happening to me or for me? You know, woe is me, like we heard from Micah last week. The people who are meek accept the good with the bad. 
and they accept it as from the very hand of their heavenly Father who loves them with total assurance, as I said, that he will work all things out for good for those who love him. Now, Jesus has already told us in the Gospels, he's actually said it a few times in different ways, but he's told us what his central trait is. He said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, and this is one of our most famous verses that we go to often when we're thinking about leaning on Jesus, right? And he said these words, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek. I am meek. This is an identity thing and character trait for Jesus. And I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So now as we head back into Luke, and I read our text for today, and we go forward week after week, can I, can I ask you to do this? Can I encourage you to, to not be listening to the preacher? <laughs> well, yeah, okay, maybe some of the things I say. But no, l- listen to him. L- let's hear Jesus. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let's really see him, and let's pray that the Holy Spirit of God will day by day, week by week, make us, conform us to the image of Christ, and especially in this beautiful character trait of meekness. I'll read our text for today, and then I'll pray one more time before we go on. Read with me, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 19. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must go to your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Hmm. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, thank you so much for this word today. Lord, thank you for, thank you for the Bible. <laughs> thank you uh, that uh, Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to collect the information, the stories about Jesus from those who knew him, who were eyewitnesses, who traveled with him, who heard him speak these words, and then write them down for us to revisit these things today and to, therefore, hear from you. So, Lord, I pray today, oh, Holy Spirit, I pray, yes, that you would illuminate these words today. You would illuminate these words in my heart as I speak them and preach them, but also in the hearts of every hearer today. So, Father, I pray for a, a, real, a real work of, of you, Holy Spirit, uh, in our hearts today. Teach us, I pray, in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Your sermon title for today is, When Salvation Comes to Your House, to My House. Hope to show you three things. <laughs> Number one, lost and up a tree. 
It's just true, okay? Number two, found and invited home. And number three, saved and changed. Let me reread the first two verses for you and put them on screen for you. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So as you may remember, uh, Luke uh, 18, back in June, we went through that, right? You remember that? Okay, probably a little bit forgetful, so I'll give you a very quick recap. I promise it'll be quick. Jesus has been passing through Samaria and Galilee, of course, preaching about his favorite topic, which is the kingdom of God. You know, it's here in him now, how to get in. He's been preaching about it for two and a half, almost three years now. Uh, He's been healing lepers and everyone of every disease, including raising people from the dead. It's been incredible. He's taught two amazing parables, one about the widow and the unjust judge. You'll remember that. And of course, there was the one about the Pharisee and the tax collector, which we'll look at shortly. Both of these, of course, these stories and these parables angered, riled up the legalistic Pharisees of the day. And again, we'll look at that in a second to see why that was, and of course, many of you know why. So there's no coincidence then that Jesus encounters Zacchaeus today after we've seen and heard some of these other stories, including the one very much near the end of chapter 18 where Jesus encountered a rich young ruler who had a question for Jesus. Now, following that encounter, we read that Jesus was entering Jericho. So he's coming into the town of Jericho. And as he was arriving into Jericho at the gate, there was this lame beggar who's just screaming out at Jesus. He's heard that Jesus is there, and he's crying out, and he's crying out, Son of David, Son of David, stop. I need to talk to you. I need you to come to me. I need you to help me. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples are going, come on, Jesus, keep going. He's just lame beggar. Forget. Jesus goes, no, no. And he goes to this man, and it's beautiful. He asks this man a question, beautiful question, a question I'm sure every one of us here today would love to be asked by Jesus or have been asked. And the question was, what do you want me to do for you? What a beautiful question. The man replied, Lord, let me recover my sight. Let me see again. And Jesus replied, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. So now today we read that Jesus has entered Jericho and he's passing through the town. So I just want you to see the picture here. It's like he's, he's entered Squamish and he's passing through our town back in the day when there was probably more trees downtown than there are today. But he's passing through and, and he's being followed. Look, we got to see this by thousands of people. Great crowd of people are continuing to follow Jesus as he comes into this town. Now, we also have learned before that this little town of Jericho, is, it's a small town, but it was an important town. It was, it was really important for basically two reasons. Number one, it was a main artery to Jerusalem. So any uh, Jewish worshiper or any uh, merchant, for that matter, who wanted to get to Jerusalem had to go through Jericho, one of the main arteries. It was also uh, a hub for the central tax offices under the Roman rule, of course. And That's why we find the home of Zacchaeus, whom we meet here today, and we learn that he was a chief tax collector in that city, the city of Jericho, in that day. And of course, he was very rich, we're told. Well, back in Luke 5, we met another tax collector, didn't we, who also ended up writing a gospel. His name, of course, is Matthew. And you will also remember that Matthew heard Jesus only say two words to him. He's in his tax booth collecting taxes from people, extorting people, and Jesus walks by and goes, Matthew, follow me. 
And of course, Matthew goes, why? Who are you? No. No, what Matthew does is leave everything totally at that time and follows Jesus. And he follows him for the rest of his life. And as I said, he's, of course, the writer of the gospel. Well, again, what happened on that day was really interesting. Matthew, as he's following Jesus, invites Jesus to his home. And, of course, Matthew's pretty well off, too, and he invites all of his tax collector friends and other sinners in town to a feast in his home, and and he blesses Jesus in this way. And, of course, the religious Pharisees, they see that going on, and again, they're like, what is going on here? Why is this man, this man who purports to be the Messiah, the Son of God, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Messiah shouldn't be doing that. Now, this Matthew, of course, we know was a, was a lower-level uh, collector, uh, tax collector, who operated a small tax booth. He also did really well. But Zacchaeus, well, he, he's at the top of the pyramid. And that's essentially what the Roman tax collecting system was. It was a pyramid scheme. Seriously, multi-level marketing pyramid, pyramid scheme. It, it really was. And so the way it worked was, is guys like Matthew, and there were lots of them, hundreds of them, maybe thousands of them, they would extort from the people, uh, both the Jews and Gentiles, their tax. And, and how they would do it is they would collect the tax, but they'd also extort and hassle people for a little bit more, a little markup, which would be their take. And included in that markup would be the take that they would pass on to the chief tax collector. And so someone, like a guy like, you know, uh, Zacchaeus, he's basically he's sitting at home, you know, with a drink with an umbrella in it, and the money just keeps rolling in. He's at the top of the food chain in this particular scheme. And so as we've learned, one of the reasons why these tax collectors are so hated is because the Romans were pretty shrewd. What they did is they brought on mostly Jews to take on this role. And, and, and they did it. It was ingenious. It was, it was intended to subvert the people of Israel so that the people of Israel would be fighting and divisive with each other. And quite frankly, it worked. It worked a lot. Anyway, out of all that, we have Zacchaeus, who is this one very rich tax collector. But look at our text for today. Something's happening to this man. Something's going on. Life can't be as good and as rich as it appears, right? He, he's, he's left his home, he's left his wealth, and his fine wines and his good food, and he's, what is he? He's, he has to see who this Jesus is. So it would appear something's missing. Now, everything's not the way that he wants it to be. He hasn't achieved everything in life at this point. Something is clearly missing. And so why do I say that? Well, look at what he does when he hears that Jesus is in town. In our next verses, 3 and 4, it says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was, yes, small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. So, like I've already said a couple times, and the text tells us, he was seeking to see who he is. Like, who is this guy? I I, want to know who this man is. And so that tells us something, doesn't it? I believe what it tells us is that he's heard about him. And and yes, of course he has. Uh, Of course he has. The news about Jesus, this miracle worker, this preacher and teacher who speaks with incredible authority, who feeds 5,000 people at one time, 
uh, it spread all over Galilee, Samaria, Judea, um, uh, like Jerusalem, all of the major cities and arteries. It spread everywhere. Everybody's heard of Jesus over the last two and a half, almost three years. Thousands upon thousands of people following him. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's something else on Z's mind, okay? I think there's something else going on. I'm thinking that maybe it's possible in this tightly knit community of tax collectors, right? They, they don't have a lot of other friends. And so they, they have their own little hub and their own little network. And I'm thinking that it's possible that he, he either personally knew or he's heard about Matthew. Maybe he's heard that Matthew not only, not only one day just got up and walked away from it all, and, and that's why he's no longer been getting any, you know, up, up line from Matthew in the tax collecting business. But maybe it's possible he's also heard this. Maybe it's possible he's heard that Matthew has found someone who has literally changed his life. Maybe. It's possible. As a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus would have known this also about his character. He would have known that of all his character traits, like ability wasn't one of them, right? He knew that. He clearly knew that. But he also probably heard this, that this Jesus was being repeatedly accused of being a friend to tax collectors and sinners. And, 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 and that the, the religious people who were also Jewish, because Jesus is Jewish, hated him for that. And, and he was like, so what, what makes this guy tick? So maybe, just maybe, Zacchaeus wants to see what makes Jesus the man that he is hearing he is. Now, I don't know what it is about this guy, Zacchaeus, that makes me like him so much, but obviously it's not his wealth. <laughs> no, it's his stature. <laughs> okay. Um, no, it is. Uh, but here's my question for you on that. Why do, we, why do we need to know that detail? Why would we need to know that detail, do you think, in this text? It's not necessary, if you think about it, that we need to know that he's short, right? Well, probably a few reasons. I think it provides a really uh, interesting view into his life, into his humanity, and potentially yours and mine as well. So yes, he was very short, um, and despite being very rich, he was despised by his own people everywhere he went. And so besides his stature, he was always being made to feel rather small. And so trust me, people who are small in stature, people who are short, can often feel like, whether it's true or not, that they just don't measure up. It's true. So whether you're small, listen, in physical stature, or your bank account is short a few zeros, or you're not very high up on the org chart in the corporation at your work, you might know what that feels like, right? To be made to feel like you're small. It doesn't feel good. And again, what do most people do or try to do when, when that's how they feel? Well, they try to overcome their weaknesses by acquiring tra traits or strengths that will help them to measure up or to be able to elevate themselves in the minds of other people, if not at least in their own. 
So in Zacchaeus' case, and at this moment, his life, he realizes, is this. I think he realizes, I've tried all those other traits. I've tried all those other things for myself. But I need to know what this man has got that I and apparently few other people have. But I've heard a few have received. So now, knowing the lay of the land, he runs ahead to a tree right? That is perfect for him to climb up. A sycamore tree is perfect for a short guy, not only to be able to climb up into, but also to hide in. So he can see Jesus. That's his hope, and nobody will be able to see him. And so on he goes into point number two, found and invited home. Verses five and six, we read, and Jesus came to the place. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and received him joyfully. Now, I, I say this often about the narratives and the stories of Jesus and the Gospels. I mean, wouldn't you love to be there on that day? I mean, honestly, it, wouldn't you be able to just transport and be able to see the picture? I would. I really would. And, and I think what we might see is a huge crowd is making its way through, through Squamish, through downtown, through Jericho, through the town. A few maybe even people, they see little Zacchaeus, and they're going, oh, there he is. Let's trip him or whatever, right? No, maybe not. Um, they, so the crowd is following Jesus, and, and they also see him go scampering off and, and running ahead, and, but they don't know where he goes, and, and up, up, the, up into the tree he goes, and, and he finds a safe place. He gets on a branch, and he can see through the trees and, 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 and the foliage and through the leaves, but, but nobody can see him, but he's got a clear view. And as soon as Jesus comes by, he's hoping to see who he is. How? That's a good question. But then, then all of a sudden, he's like, Jesus looks through the leaves, through the branches, and he's looking. And Zacchaeus says, oh no, he sees me. He's looking right at me. And then, oh no, he just called out my name in front of everybody in town. <laughs> I think he might have been a little bit uh, off by that, put off by that. But then, wait a second, wait, did I hear him right? Did he just say in front of all the people in town, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Come on down. I did. I think he jumped out of the tree. I think he jumped on the tree. It says he came down very quickly, very quickly. So first we've seen that Zacchaeus truly was lost and up a tree, didn't we? I mean, truly he was. He was lost and up a tree, just like the rest of us at some point in our lives. He probably doesn't even know he's lost, however. He's not figured it all out. But we do, don't we? We know that without Christ, we're, we're lost. And this man is, at least at this point in the story, without Christ. But the truth is also, he's lost many a friendship because of his line of work, right? He's lost his church family, likely, and maybe even some people in his own household, within his own family. The only thing that he's found that we know of for sure is great wealth. But at what cost, right? At what cost? And now on this day, look, we need to see this. Jesus finds him. Friends, this is the perfect picture, the perfect picture of the truth of your salvation, of our salvation. You were lost, we were lost, I was lost, and we were found. We were not on a journey to discover ourselves, to find ourselves, or even to find Jesus. 
No one seeks after God, the Bible, the Scripture teaches us. No. God comes to us. So you were lost, and you have been found if you're in Christ and a Christian today. You didn't go on this journey. No, your sovereign heavenly Father sent Jesus to earth and to you to save you and to find you and then to bring you home. The truth is, however, sadly, not everyone thinks they're lost, do they? No. In addition, most people who don't believe they're lost do not believe they're so bad that they need someone to save them, someone like Jesus. And so we read about some of those people in verse 7, and when they saw it, who are they? The Pharisees, the religious types, who are following Jesus constantly. They all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, again, I might add. It's pretty sad. And my question is, how long has this been going on? Well, it's been going on for almost three years. Jesus has been working hard time and time again to reach even these men and women, of course, but primarily men who are the Pharisees. It's not like he's been given up on them. I might, you might, but he doesn't. He keeps trying and trying over and over to reach them and to show them that he is their Messiah who's come to seek and save the lost of which they are too. He's been providing these contrasting stories that Luke has been lining up in his gospel in such beautiful ways to reach them, to reach you and I too, but to reach them as well. And it's beautiful what we've seen. Remember the parable in chapter 18, uh, verses 9 to 14, the Pharisee who goes to the temple to pray and the tax collector there as well. Remember that one? It's a parable, but Jesus is telling it to the Pharisees in front of them and everyone else, and it's about a Pharisee who goes to temple, and of course he's very holy and righteous, and he goes into temple, and he thanks God in his prayer to God uh, in this parable uh, for not making him like other men. No, thank you for making me better. It's basically what he says. He says, thank you for not making me like other men, extortioners, unjust men, adulterers, or even this, this tax collector guy over here, right? He then lets God know how good he is, right, by his actions and his deeds, his giving, right, clang, clang in the offering jars. Of course, he makes a big show of that. And he reminds God of that. Look at what I've been doing for you, right? Well, it's been an interesting story. He basically wants God and Jesus in this parable to see that he is good on his own merit. He's making himself good. Well, then we heard the words of the tax collector in the parable. Great contrast. He's beating his chest like a mea culpa, and the words that come out of his mouth are, God, be merciful on me, for I am a sinner. Does that sound like meekness to you? Jesus replies, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other man. This, the, he's trying to reach them, but it blew their minds. They could not understand that. They hated it, actually. Totally confused them. But what Jesus was trying to show them is, gentlemen, guys, your outward actions come from a wicked heart. I, I want to show you what a meek heart looks like, a humble heart looks like. Because, frankly, that's what you need. 
That's what everyone needs in order to receive me. So they needed forgiveness. They are truly lost. Then in, in, in chapter 18, verses 18 to 30, Jesus gives one more try with these guys with an encounter with the rich young ruler. Remember that? What a contrast that was, but also with Zacchaeus, the story today. It's amazing. This rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. You know, he's a ruler in the synagogue, and he comes up to Jesus and says, okay, listen, Jesus, make it easy for us. What must I do, right? I do, works-based religion, in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Could you just give us one thing to do, and if we do that, we're in. Well, so Jesus responds by, of course, quoting a few of the Ten Commandments, you know, the do's and don'ts, you know what they are, like do this and do this and do this, and by the way, don't do this and don't do that and don't do that. And, and, and then the, the, the rich young ruler says to him, check the box, man, I've done all those things perfectly. Well, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't disagree with him, but Jesus says this, there's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will receive treasure in heaven and come follow me. After you've done that, given away all your wealth. Give it away. Well, that was too much for him, wasn't it, in the story? It's a true story, sadly. The man's riches were far more precious to him than Jesus. And then Jesus said these amazing words at the end of that parable, and, and pardon me, not parable, but true story. He said to his disciples and everyone who was watching, he said, how difficult it is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard those words in that day, again, were stunned. <laughs> They're like, oh, my goodness. Like, as far as they were concerned, uh, a person who is a faithful Jew who keeps the commandments and is wealthy is, is clearly evidence that God is approving of him, accepting of him, and blessing him. And they actually get to the point where they're like, well, they, they, they blurt this out. They go, well, if that's true, who then can be saved? clearly not getting it. And Jesus says, beautiful response again, he says, listen, what is impossible with man to save yourself is possible with God. And so now today, we see the impossible coming true in the life of a rich tax collector who's about to go through the eye of a needle. It's amazing. So between, we need to see this, between verses 7 and the next verse uh, that I will read for you, uh, there's been a gap in time. Essentially, uh, Zacchaeus has come down from the tree, is sort of walking with Jesus, and they start heading to his home, which is probably on the outskirts of town, not suburbia, but outside of town, where the bigger homes would be. And uh, as they're on the road, they're probably having a good, strong conversation about, about salvation, about the kingdom of God, and, and all these things, and, and, and maybe even a little bit of an update on how Matthew's doing. We don't know. But then they get to Zacchaeus' home, and the tradition would be Zacchaeus would put on a meal in his home for Jesus and, and, and his disciples who were with him, and of course, probably invited some of his tax collector friends and other sinners, and they're sitting at the table and they're hearing from Jesus, and, and Zacchaeus is finding out who this man really is. And then we read in verse 8, point number three, saved and changed. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In front of all of his dinner guests, Jesus' disciples, every tax collector, and every friend that he has, and in front of Jesus, he declares his testimony of faith in his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what's on display here when he calls him Lord. He's becoming a new man. He's received a new heart. And so I have a question for you. Do you think it's at all possible that he went back to his tax-collecting business and empire? I highly doubt it. Matthew didn't, and I think we can ensure he's done with this as well. At this point, Zacchaeus has come fully through the eye of the needle, (laughs) and it has squeezed out every last penny, denarii, of his ill-gotten gain. He's given it all away, or he said he will and promised he will. Does he care about this money anymore? No. Obviously not. He has Jesus. He has a new heart, and he's developing and displaying a newfound trait, meekness, meekness. As I was preparing this week um, for this message, and as is often the case, uh, the Holy Spirit seems to sometimes, he just drops articles or podcasts or something uh, in my path that seems to apply to our text for the week, And, and he did that again this week, very early in the week. Uh, I saw an article written by John Piper on Desiring God, and the, the, the title of the article got my attention because it asked the question, is my career in marketing in vain? <laughs> well, as many of you know, I spent 30 years in the marketplace before becoming a church planter and pastor here in Squamish in business, and marketing, yes, was my field. So trust me, I was like, wait a second here, John Piper, what are you doing? It's a great article. I would suggest you look it up. I recommend it heartily, Um, uh, and I recommend uh, the heart of it to you this morning. You see, I did learn what I learned very on. I'm thankful for this, that I had some men um, discipling me uh, in my career, is that I would have to choose at some point in that career whether I was going to be honest and ethical in my work or deceiving and manipulating. It's a real battle in that field, as I'm sure some of you probably are aware or think. But let me also press this into whatever it is that you do, right? Okay, for work and, listen, recreation as well. I once also had a chain of stereo stores in Vancouver, and I had to choose whether I was going to open on Sundays. It was a tough choice, you know, to choose to close and, and let the competition get my business or remain open. Well, we closed. It was a tough choice, but I want to encourage all of you today, this is what I want you to do, is I want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit search your heart and ask you those tough questions about your life, your career, and whether you need to either change what you're doing or how you do it and with whom. I can tell you it cost me in those days to close on Sunday. Some of my staff were like, they weren't Christians, and they were like, well, good for you, Glenn, you're going to go to church and... I learned some very valuable lessons that have stuck with me to this day. 
So a good test, I think, for you would be this, and for me. Is your work or your recreation keeping you from gathering with the body of Christ and or giving financially to the work of the ministry here in Squamish or elsewhere? If either is true, then let me suggest to you that Zacchaeus could be a really good example for you today. Think about that. A few years ago, a man came to me who was a a newly baptized Christian in our church. Uh, He was working and is working in an industry that is quite seasonal. Um, And and when it's on in that particular industry, you work seven days a week, right? And uh, at one point, he he texted me and he was going, oh, man, I really miss being at church on Sundays. And uh, I miss being with the family and with the church. Yeah, I can listen to your podcasts, but I just really miss being there. And I, so I said to him, I said, I, I just, you know, when we talked, I said, well, go to your boss and ask him to give you the day off. And he, he laughed. He went, Glenn, you don't understand. In our industry, that's like, he's just going to laugh at me. I said, go ask him. So he did. And his boss apparently laughed at him. And, and I said to him, go ask him again. And he looked at me, he shook his head. And he's like, what? I said, no, no, really. Go ask him again. But listen, explain it this way. Like working seven days a week is not good for any human being. That's why God says we should rest one day. That's one of the reasons, besides worshiping him. And, and, and it's a day that also that you need to be with your family one day a week. And yeah, you want to be with your church family. You want to gather with the people of God and worship God. I said, go ask him again. And so he did. And the next time I saw him, it was at church on Sunday. He said, yeah, he just shook his head at me. He says, okay, okay, you're the one who's going to lose the money on Sunday, which he did. So go ahead. You want to go to this church thing or whatever? Oh, yeah, you go do it. Interesting story. A couple of months later, the boss showed up here at the Rock Church. And I don't know exactly what the whole story was, whether or not it was like, well, I got to find out what's, what this is all about because this, this is crazy. This guy would give up working on Sundays. But his boss also became a follower of Jesus and was baptized and is a Christian to this day. So sometimes, listen, friends, we need to understand um, the decisions we make in our lives are not only important for us, but also God has a plan here and our decisions might impact the lives of others and potentially their salvation. So meekness is the character trait I want to suggest to you today that we all need. In our meekness, and if we are meek, we're not going to worry about what we're going to put on or what we're going to eat, what we're going to do, or how much money we're going to have in the bank. Many other things we're no longer going to worry about. In meekness, we're going to give ourselves to others, those who are truly in need. And yes, we are going to give our money to the Lord and let him do things with it that we could never hope of doing with it through our own investment. One thing I've learned over the years, and I believe Zacchaeus would offer from heaven right now a very large amen if he heard this, is that you can trust Jesus to always provide for what you really need. I can't tell you. Janice and I could never, we could spend hours and hours just sharing with you the amazing ways God has provided for us and for our family and for this church. So Jesus finally says to Zacchaeus and his guests after Zacchaeus' profession of faith and what he's going to do with his money, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, which is all of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for coming. I want to leave you with these very brief words. Uh, I I read a short synopsis that I read a a month or so ago 
uh, of the story of Zacchaeus, very succinct. It might help you to remember this story well. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus as he passed by. Jesus, seeing him, told him to come down from the tree. It is Jesus, seeing you and I clearly, who would ascend the tree for your salvation and my salvation. Our tree climbing must give way to his, for we cannot save ourselves. He must save us. Do you see this now? Do you see it? Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for coming, leaving the heavenly realm, leaving all of your wealth behind and coming here in poverty to seek and to save us. We weren't even looking for you, and you came looking for us. Thank you so much. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would complete the work in us that Jesus uh, desires to be completed in us, that you would transform us into his likeness. And I pray for every one of us listening today, for myself as well, that you would continue to to, to work on this, this beautiful gift and strength and trait of meekness in our hearts. Give us that amazing foundation, that confidence, true confidence, that produces action and boldness on your behalf and for the sake of others. Oh, I thank you so much. We thank you so much. And I pray these things in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen.